You're listening to Soul Talk for Black Folks podcast with your hosts, licensed marriage and family therapists, wives, mothers, and soul sisters, Latoya Chithon and Sarah Harris. Each episode, these ladies bring you empowering and uplifting messages focused on helping you improve relationships with yourself and others while destigmatizing mental health in the Black community. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking mental health treatment. Now grab some coffee or a cup of tea and get comfortable. Let's soul talk. This is episode 11, Soul Talk with Ruth Unebu, Adoptive Families. Well, hello, my Soul Talk with Black Folks community. How are you? Today, we will be chatting with Ruth Unebu. She's a registered clinical counselor and clinical supervisor in the greater Vancouver area in British Columbia, Canada. This is our first Canadian guest. In fact, Nigerian Canadian. Whoop, whoop. She's special. Yeah. I'm so excited. She specializes in working with actors and other performing creatives, athletes, parents or caregivers, and transracial adoptees. There are so many interesting topics that we can speak with Ruth about. But today, we want to dive into a topic that I don't hear much about among Black folks. It's the topic of adoptive families. I want to know why we don't hear much about adoption in the Black community. But anyway, let's get started. Welcome, Ruth. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm very honored to be the first Canadian (laughs) guest here, you know. Hope you'll have a few more. Um, yeah, about myself, I like uh, you said, Sarah, I am a Nigerian Canadian born and raised here to two amazing parents who were, you know, in, uh, Nigerian um, and came over right before I was born. I'm the oldest of four children, um, two brothers and one sister and now two in-laws and now one niece. I'm sorry, oh. but she's the best niece ever. She was just <laughs> born um, April 30th in Dubai. So she's... Oh. Her name is Legacy and she's the best. So very, you know. Um, yeah, what a beautiful name, Legacy. I like she's, that. And yeah, she's, yeah, I, I could just talk about this the whole time. <laughs> so I'll just kind of defer to that. Um, and also oldest of uh, numerous foster children. My parents have been uh, fostering since 1999. Wow, that's a long time. Um, and I'm also a single foster mom. Uh, and I'm like you said, I'm a registered clinical counselor and supervisor here in British Columbia. So I do work for a nonprofit agency as a manager of counseling services, as well as I own my own private practice, Ruth Unebu Counseling and Coaching, where I do uh, that stuff a little bit on the side, just in the evenings, just because I have a full time job. What else is there? I'm an actor, I'm an athlete, a doula, a web designer and a fitness fitness and nutrition coach <laughs> yes yeah. yeah I feel like we should have a topic for each of those things she mentioned Let's I will come, bring I know. Back. I'm like we need to just have her on the calendar for like the rest of the year <laughs> yeah. I'll come back I'll come back you have a lot to share you have a lot of experiences yeah. and you wear a lot mm-hmm. of hats Ruthie I do I do and it's fun I mean a lot of the stuff that I do, even though a lot of the stuff that I specialize in, in my practice is, are the things that I am interested in, right? So I'm an actor, I'm a creator, um, creative. uh, And so I, I know kind of that history. I know that, that side of it. And so I love to connect with people. Um, 
same as an as an athlete. I played volleyball in university. I, you know, I was a crossfitter at the games as well as um, a figure competitor. So again, just kind of being in that high level kind of um, athletics and helping people kind of transition into regular life if they've you know been um, high level athlete as well as just kind of strengthening them them if there are athletes as well and how do we connect the body to the mind and and help with that. Um, and then, yeah, when it comes to adoption and fostering, my parents, like I said, have been fostering since 1999. And for some reason, adoption and fostering have been of, of interest to me since I was a kid. I have no idea why, because when my parents started fostering, I was already almost 18. So I was a grown oh, person. Yes. But I yeah. had, but I had interest before that. So, yeah. So it's not like you grew up with it around you. I didn't. I grew up with it. I mean, you know, we knew families, some families that did it, not a lot, but like, like some families, but I didn't grow up like my brother. I think my brother was about 12. Yep. 12 when the first children, when our first foster siblings came in. So he kind of grew up more with that. I was already right before I graduated from high school. I, my, my, my parents um, invited my first foster siblings into our home and so I was like the third parent I wasn't kind of the yeah. sibling I was more the mm. third parent right yes um, yeah and so I didn't really grow up around it but I had the interest in it and the cool thing about it before my parents started fostering they actually sat us down and asked us right and if we would have said no as siblings then they wouldn't have done it mm. yes wow. yeah yeah I think that's so important it's, you know you hey, be respected okay for us to do that yeah yeah mm-hmm. So what brought you to the work of adoptive families? Was it the same path? Yeah, just my interest in it. Um, from childhood, I just was always interested in adoption, just kind of, you know, once the internet came around, just looking up different stories and hearing about it. Um, and so, and then grew, being involved in fostering for this long, you know, especially through my parents, just uh, being able to help people and understand how we can support them. You know, we're a black family, so uh, it's a different kind of mindset as well. Being a black family with majority white kids, we had majority white kids in our home. So even studying, the, uh, understanding that and helping, you know, helping parents as well as adoptees and um, foster kids just kind of navigate life um, through that. I recognized that a lot of parents go in through to adoption and fostering kind of with rose colored glasses, thinking kind of like, okay, these kids are going to be coming into my home. Everything's going to be peachy keen, but they don't recognize the amount of trauma that just even moving homes could um, bring up. And so my idea was just kind of allowing a safe space for especially adoptees, especially transracial adoptees, but any kind of adoptees or foster children to have a safe space to kind of go through what they need to go through and process what happens. Because again, there's always that, that um, pressure for adoptees to be grateful, you know, grateful for what, for what they had or, and those kind of things, but they, and they don't feel that they have often a space to kind of go through and process. Yes, they can be grateful and be happy. And, you know, maybe their adoptive parents hopefully are amazing, but on the other hand, there's that feeling of loss or feeling of confusion and those kind of things. Yeah. So, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, while you were talking, I realized we're using the phrase um, transracial adoptees. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that for those who may not be familiar with that phrase? Yeah, so transracial adoptees uh, refers to kids um, who were adopted by parents who are not of their race, essentially. So um, for us, we were transracial adoptees, but I would say reverse, but because you usually see white parents adopting um, non-white kids, BIPOC children. Um, so, but basically it's like when the parents are of a different race than the child. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I know there's, there's, I feel like there's so many terms related to adoption that I don't know that I'm not even familiar with. Um, as we discussed, it's not really something that's discussed in the black community. So, um, can you think of any phrases or terms related to this work that people might not realize could be offensive to, to those who are, um, who are adopted or. What, what what I would do is kind of defer back to the adoptees themselves, those who have been adopted, right? Because often we try to think, oh, we shouldn't say this, but we have to ask them what is comfortable for them. But because sometimes people will say, you know, I prefer to say bio parents. I prefer, prefer to say first parents and those kind of things. Um, but the big thing, you know, the one that kind of is glaring is like, you know, don't say real kid. Do you hope to have real kids? Right. Mm -hmm. Or you couldn't have real kids. Every kid is real. And we kind of diminish that, that child when we say that, but a lot of times people outside the adoption, you know, community, uh, those who are kind of interested will be like, Oh, real kids. And they say that kind of stuff. So that's not <laughs> that great. Um, another thing is, so when it comes to, you know, the adoption day or kind of that, that whole process, often adoptive parents will be like, want to make it cute and want to make it this and that. And so sometimes they'll be like, oh, it's a gotcha day or I got you and obtained you. And again, that just makes, you know, strips the um, autonomy from the kids and projects like ownership to the child. Right. Um, and not not understanding kind of feels like or what you just, you know, went to the store and collected me. So just kind of those adoption or gotcha days, those, those things kind of um, are not real cool. And sometimes we talk about being chosen, you know. Um, so I'm getting a lot of this stuff as well from one of my friends and one of my colleagues, Brooke Randolph. Uh, she is from greenhouseindie.com. I think that's what it is. Uh, and she's a brain spotting therapist and she also specializes in, in adoption, right? So I'm reading some, some of the stuff here um, that she has like in her training. One of them is like the chosen. Um, sometimes when you say uh, I'm chosen, it means that it makes the child think, oh, they were discarded by the other person or by the bio parents, right? Just the idea of like, oh, you were chosen for me and God chose you. And it doesn't actually honor kind of the story of the bio parents. Right. There's so many. Um, yeah. And that child's full story. That right? full story, exactly. Yeah. They don't yeah. just become, they don't, their story doesn't just start once where they were adopted. Exactly. I could see right. that being something that they, they feel like they would uh, now have to disconnect from their past in order to really be involved in this new chosen space when mm -hmm. um, that's still a part of them. So it's very mm -hmm. important to continue to honor that. And then when it comes to adoptive parents as well, like just never saying negative things at foster as well, never saying negative things about the birth family or the bio family 
um, because again, that child comes from that family. And so you're talking negatively about them, right? Even if they, you know, even if they've had difficulties, we all know there have been difficulties. There's always an underlying cause for something that happens. And so we have to make sure that we're not just because they're ooh, part of our family now doesn't mean they're not part of that other family or that other culture or, or, you know, and those kind of things. So just honoring that and making sure that we don't talk negatively around the child about their, about their first families. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good information because I could see people inadvertently doing that, thinking that they're doing something, saying something positive, but actually be, um, you know, leaving the child in a space where they now have to decide it, it, while they're trying to figure out what's going on in their own life, who am I? What's my yeah. identity? I thought this was my family. And now, you know, I'm hearing all these negative things. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And um, so the, the next question I have for you is related to what you were saying as far as the cultural differences. Um, what kinds of things should adopting parents be mindful of when it comes to adopting a child that's a different race than they are? So this is a big one, especially when it comes to transracial adoption and, you know, adopting those who are different race. Uh, Okay, so again, the the thing that we see the most in society is white parents adopting BIPOC children. children. Um, And so, and this, okay, so how, how do I say this? They have to be willing to understand and educate themselves about their children. I'm so passionate about this, right? Let's, uh, because I'm a black person, I'm just gonna talk about a black person. A white person has to recognize what they're going to come up against. Like when they adopt a black kid, they don't have, they have no idea. We've seen that now these days where, uh, you know, white people are very surprised that we have the the talk, right? The talk about like, you know, uh, about um, having to work you know, a hundred times harder than your white counterparts, having to make sure that you do the right thing when you get stopped by the police, you know, and those kind of things. So uh, often when, you know, when we see white people, often they're not really ready to adopt a black kid because they think love is just enough. All I have to do is love. I don't see color, but they need to kind of recognize their own privilege and their own biases and you know, the racism within themselves. And again, when sometimes when white people, when we say white people can have racism or, or racial thinking, they're like, oh no, I'm not racist. But it's humbling yourself to recognize that there is a certain level of um, privilege that people have, white people have, right? As they navigate this world and just to recognize, okay, my kid is not gonna have this privilege. They're not dark white, they're not white adjacent, they're black, right? And so, especially if they're not gonna be, if you're not around, they're gonna experience a lot of different things. So talking to black people, talking to black uh, adoptees, getting information about the culture that you're going to be uh, adopting from. Because again, you have black, but you also have different members of the diaspora. So if you're adopting a child from Ethiopia, learning about that culture, right? If you're learning, if you're uh, adopting a child domestically, learning about that history and culture. So mindful, mindfulness includes is the parent ready to get uncomfortable? Hmm. Are we ready to get uncomfortable knowing yeah. what our children are going to go through? Are we getting ready to be uncomfortable of saying, okay, shoot, I don't see, you know, maybe my child, I live in a place where my, my kid is not represented. I might have to move, you know, when it comes to black people, hair, 
learning how to take care of our hair, learning how to take care of our skin. Um, so again, sometimes when we think, oh, I want to adopt a kid, we're like, amazing but i think as adoptees or adoptive parents we need to recognize that we have to do a lot of work before we invite these kids into our home because we got to set up a space for them to make sure that they're comfortable mm-hmm. yes yeah that reminds me of last week i was in no two weeks ago i was in salt lake city and it coincided with juneteenth which was on a saturday and so i went to the juneteenth festival and i was really um, what caught my eye was this couple, a white couple, and they had a black little boy with them. And I was telling my husband, I was like, that's beautiful. They're bringing him to experience this culture, this Juneteenth festival. It might have been uncomfortable for them being around it, right? But he was there from a young age being immersed in that. And that was just beautiful. But it's simple things like that that can be mm-hmm. done to help yeah. that child connect to their roots. Because if you think about it, I, you know, I was born and raised in British Columbia, Canada, and I feel that my parents like the OG, some of the OG, you know, OG Nigerians, for one, like they're like royalty in the Nigerian community, they everybody kind of defers to them, but there weren't a lot of black people around, right? So even me growing up in a black family, I felt out of place in society, um, because there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. I remember one of my first memories in life was wondering why did God make me black? Not because I didn't want to be black, not because I hated being black, but because all the people around me, I didn't realize in my head that (laughs) there are more black people in the world. So I thought just by mathematics, like how how did God know to make me black when there are a billion like white people around (laughs) the world, right? I literally thought like it was just us and the people that I saw uh, around me. So it's kind of like recognizing that children need to see representation. It's so important, right? And so if you know you're wanting to adopt from a a different uh, race and you find yourself, oh, I don't even have a friend of that race or I don't know anybody in that race or there's nobody around, then it's like, okay, I need to be uncomfortable. I need to be, as an adult, be uncomfortable because it's easier for me to deal with the comfortability than it is to deal with the kids, uh, for the kids to deal with that. Right. So understanding kind of what are these steps that you you are willing to take to make sure that your child feels comfortable as much as you can control. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because if I as the black person. Yeah, exactly. Because if I as a black person kind of felt sometimes out of place and just like, oh, oh, then much less, you know, a a child of color, uh, black indigenous or child of color within a family who's just surrounded by white faces going to a white church, going to a white school, that kind of thing. Yeah. So then um, one of the questions that's been lingering in my mind is why is it that is, I don't really see a whole lot of black folks adopting. Why do you think that is? I think it's because, well, the thing is we do adopt, right? We are collect across the diaspora. We are collectivist culture. So we are always taking care of our children. It's just that often it's not a formal thing, uh, right? right? Yeah. So yeah. we see like grandmas and grandpa, grandmas and grandpas taking care of their grandchildren. We see aunts and uncles taking their kids in. Again, across the diaspora, here in the Caribbean, in the States, in the whole of Africa, we see that. It's just not a formal thing that like this westernized way of adoption is, mm-hmm. right? That's so right. a lot of people will say that. They'll be like, oh my gosh, what? No, we do. 
we probably don't <laughs> we adopt kids but just informally so i yeah. want to kind of you know kibosh that myth. yeah a bit i that appreciate that, that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah right um and so we do it's just that it's not a formal thing um okay. yeah so why not in the formal way like is it a money thing like why not in the the formal way um I mean, we still do it in a formal way. I think it's just like, again, we're in a westernized culture and a westernized country. So we always see white people doing it, right? We always see white people kind of showing, uh, you know, on social media and those kind of things. Um, but yeah, with, when it comes to adoption, in uh, domestic adoption, like, you know, within your own country and international, it's money. It's a money grab. And that's the thing that's really upsetting about it all is that, you know, it will, you know, adoption all in is just thousands and thousands of dollars when it shouldn't be, but it's, you know, within our Westernized culture and countries, it's, it's a business. Right. Um, and, and so that's what it is. I mean, I don't think that we don't, I think we are still, we're underrepresented because we, you know, it's not always for the clout for often. Thing that those who are on social media is for clout. I love, you know, seeing the families that are adopting. Um, but like we live in a white society, so we're going to see a lot of white representation around. Right? Yeah, that's what shows up the mo- most of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then speaking of that, I'm wondering why is it that we it's common to see white couples, as you were describing, Sarah, who, with a black kid. But we, we rarely see a black couple adopting a white child. Every person who I've ever known, every black family who's adopted, um, they've adopted black children. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, again, within America, sorry, United States, um, mm-hmm. black children are over, overrepresented in the foster system. Right. And we're I mean, we could talk a whole bunch about that, how it ties into um, slavery and, you know, the, you know, um, school to uh, jail prison pipeline and all that kind of stuff. But we're overrepresented within within uh, the fostering. And here in Canada, it's more indigenous and it's for the same kind of reason. Right. So that feeling of like that white savior kind of, oh, we've got to save these kids from their families, as opposed to recognizing that, you know, if there are difficulties within the families, how can we support the families instead of, you know, taking the kids away? Often, and which is unfortunate um, when it comes to, uh, you know, costs and prices when it comes to adoption. I hate to say this even, but like, Black children, quote unquote, cost less or the adoption um, uh, fees are lower when it comes to children of color. And so Hmm. there's that. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And as well, it's like often just, you know, a commodity. Oh, I want to, you know, black kids. They're so beautiful. I really Mm -hmm. want a black kid. I really want to, you know, and again, they uh, sometimes if they're not educated enough, they think just having a black child, having a child from a different country is almost kind of like fun. And it's, and it's going to be great because all I need is love. Right. And it's seen as this exotic thing. And it's seen as this this exotic thing. Yeah. Um, We, we do see black, black parents uh, fostering and adopting, but again, you know, not as many because often within the society as well, we're not as many uh, in in population, right? So, um, so you're not going to see that as well. But yeah, there are. You know, my family 
like I said, we are a black family. We had majority white kids. We had some indigenous kids and just a scattering of other, of other I was races. surprised when you said that in the introduction. I was too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Majority white around you. Oh yeah. My siblings are all like, there are a lot of my white kids, you know, there'll be like this, you know, one of my brothers, just a little, um, you know, freckled, blonde haired kid, so cute and be like, hi dad. And people will just be like, huh? Like to my, my <laughs> huge, you know, black, um, um, accented Nigerian accented dad. And there's this little white kid <laughs> saying, hi dad, you know, dad. And people kind of be diff- giving us different looks, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I'm not black people d- adopt black people transracially adopt as well. Um, it's just not seen as much because of where we live and how, you know, the population and those kind of things. But Yeah. And that all makes sense. I'm honestly not very surprised about that piece of it because, um, you know, as you said, the population size and the the ratio that we already have going on, as well as the overrepresentation of um, black children in the system, it makes sense. It mm-hmm, makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm still thinking about what you said about the lower fees. Like that's, that's really sad that for the, the kids of color, the black kids, the fees are lower, mm-hmm. you know? And in my mind, I was just like, well, systemic racism at its best. Absolutely. And that's what it is, right? Systemic racism is the reason why we're overrepresented in um, the fostering system anyway, right? And like I said, it's, can't, uh, it's mostly Black children in, um, in the States and then Indigenous kids here. Systemic racism, thinking that, oh, we need to take these kids away from their families to make sure that they're better and, um, and kind of just, you know, yeah, it's just, a, it's just an extension of colonization, which is unfortunate. So when we think of adoption, what, generalizing it back again, what do you think is one of the biggest struggles that adoptive families face? Um, not understanding how much preparation and education they need to give themselves as adoptive parents, right? Uh, not only just for transracial adoption, but also for adop- adoption in general, in terms of what are we going to expect when it comes to maybe the traumas, the, the thwarted attachment, um, some of the, you know, even just parenting itself is tough. And then we're going to throw in trauma. We're going to throw in thwarted attachment. We're going to throw in, you know, first families um, trying to fit in. So I think, again, sometimes we go in like, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to adopt a child and it's going to be amazing. Uh, But they don't recognize that there's so many things that could come up depending on what's happening. Um, Because we don't even, you know, in, in terms of like, you know, if you have your, if you have a child, um, from your own womb, you kind of understand your own family history, your own um, medical things, you know, kind of how you kind of went through this pregnancy. We don't know a lot of that stuff when it comes to children who are adopted. So we have to recognize that we, we have to recognize that the biggest thing that a child needs, um, regardless of adoption, but the biggest thing a child needs is attachment and connection um and and grace just to kind of be who you are but i think it's just yeah lack of a, lack of education is what is the is the worst when it comes to adoption i think yes yeah i love that you mentioned an attachment because i've also worked with adopted children and also adults who have been adopted mm-hmm. and in my opinion it has to be about attachment theory coming approaching it through that lens of attachment theory Absolutely. It all makes sense. It definitely does. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's thwarted attachment already when you when a child is taken away from their first families. No matter what the cause was, there's always that. And it's a big, big thing that may or may not show up 
show up consciously, but subconsciously it's there. Like it's, it's in our bodies when you're taken away from that first family. Um, and so just understanding how those things can come up is very important, but we kind of look, we don't often see that when it comes to adoption, because we think, oh, you know, everything's going to be great. I'm going to have this child. I'm going to love them. Everything's going to be fine. But yeah, that would be, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the book. And again, the body. I would differ. Mm-hmm. But, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. And then and I, I would also defer back to adoptees um, to ask them what their biggest difficulties were. Because again, the adoptive parents could very well just be like, oh yeah, everything was great. But the adoptee is like, oh, well, actually, you know, I felt uncomfortable here. Or, you know, I know I should be, they're like, people are telling me I should be grateful, but there were other things that, you know, I was uncomfortable with. So just understanding from the mouths of adoptees what, um, you know, what, what difficulties they went through. Because I think it will be surprising to a lot of people that there are many adoptees that feel that adoption was not the best choice for them. They wish they weren't adopted, right? Even if they were adopted into the uh, richest, you know, most uh, affluent, uh, privileged families, they, they're like, nah, right? So again, you know, some people will say, oh, that, that child is lucky to be put into your family. Lucky is another thing that we shouldn't be saying. Whereas, you know, the adopted person um, themselves will just be like, uh, no, I wish it never happened. Yeah, yeah. So just yeah. really trying to listen to the adoptive child um the person who was adopted um yeah and i think it goes back to the attachment theory because so many times that um that urge to connect and attach to what you know and it has been ingrained it's in them you know and i was about to say earlier on it reminds me of the book the body keeps score like cognitively, you may not remember everything from your first family, but your body remembers it and stores it. And sometimes you react into it. And you don't even fully understand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it comes up in different things, different ways. And we'll look at this child and think, oh, they're just being uh, difficult or they're just being, um, you know, oh, hormones. Da, da, da. Like we have to recognize that there's another layer that could be there when we are adopting children. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that came up for me too, Ruthie, when you were speaking was um, how you connected it back to parenting is hard in general. And I think that that's a really big thing to consider um, because as I, as you were describing kind of this, this idealistic view of, oh, I'm going to adopt this child and everything's going to be great. It sounds a lot like um, new parents, you know, Mm -hmm. new parents Mm -hmm. in general, they kind of come in with these, these ideas of how things are going to be. And they think it's going to be all perfect. Right. And so yeah. just the extra added layer on top, if it is, um, if it is an adopted family, um, that brings up for me, what kinds of myths or distorted beliefs do you notice that people have about the whole concept of adopting? I said this before already, and I'll say it again. All I need is love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that's the bare minimum. Like people will go in and think, oh, we just need love. That's it. And then, then be upset or not understand kind of why their child is not connecting to them down the road. Right. Right. Another myth is that, you know, a lot of them will say, I don't see it within the transracial adoption um, is I don't see color. Everybody's the same. We're all humans. Right. And again, that, that, um, that just shows that 
people don't recognize when they say that, especially white people, that they're feeling that white, like white is the norm and everything else I don't see, right? So you don't see that I'm black. So that means if you don't see that I'm black, you're not ready to kind of deal with the difficulties that I'm that the world is going to give me because I'm black or because I'm Asian or because I'm indigenous, right? Um, so yeah, like again, that feeling of uh, all they need is a family and everything is gonna be okay is a very, very big myth within within um, adoptive families and also within families in general. We have to do the work. We have to do to make sure we know what, you know, to help prepare our children um, and teach them what they're going to expect and be there to stand up for them. And I think it's important to take that approach of seeking to understand, Mm -hmm. like being willing to suspend whatever assumptions or beliefs you may have and just take that curious approach with a child of trying to understand where they're coming from and their, their world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, tied into all I need is love is the fact that, oh, no, I don't need to talk to anybody else. Right. But again, if you're going to adopt translationally, you need to talk to adults who are of that race. You need to talk to other uh, um, children who've been adopted of that race. You have to talk and you got to also make sure that you have representation especially with um, BIPOC, sometimes the representation that we see in society is just like the criminals, right? You know, because because that's what um, society likes to do to kind of put us down as BIPOC people. So you need to show them that we could be teachers, that we are, you know, that we're lawyers, that we are even garbage men. We're garbage men, but we're making a, a, you know, a difference in this world. So recognizing that just the, you know, the people that we see on TV when they, uh, they show us as drug dealers and all that kind of stuff. um, That's not the representation that you need to, because honestly, when it comes to children who've been adopted, you'll hear a lot of the stories of like them wishing they were white or wondering when they're going to be turning white. And that's not, that's on the parents, right? Not letting them recognize that, no, you're not going to turn white, but let's, let's speak truth into you. Let's speak life into you um, to show you that you are important. You might, we might look different, but you know, it's just, it's so much more blackness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And so it's like, it's, you know, and we don't want to over celebrate. Oh, my gosh, you're black. Oh, you're black. Oh, you're black. Oh, you're black. Like, you know, it's that balance of just making sure they recognize, you know, who they are. Right. The one thing that and, and recognizing they're going to experience things. The one thing I didn't actually realize um, when it came to my own siblings, my own foster siblings, I talked to my foster sister just a couple of years ago. She was with us when she was, I believe, 10. But we still talk now um almost every day going to school and they knew that she was living with us and they mocked her for it oh you're living with a black family and like use the terms oh you must be an m lover or whatever because she was living with us and i didn't recognize that because even as you know we're transracial foster family but we don't have to teach our kids how to be white Mm-hmm. right yeah we kind of we already know kind of how to be white we know how to be white even though we're black right we kind of we're able to kind of navigate that world when mm-hmm. they just they just became a little nigerian with when they're with us but <laughs> what i didn't recognize is that or realized was yeah she was mocked she was um bullied for being with a black family so transracial adoptees who are of color or transracial adoptive parents who are uh, of color have to recognize that as well um, to recognize kind of what others might say when um, when they see us picking them up or, 
you know, oh, your, your mom's white or your mom's black. Okay. And kind of having to navigate. I had to teach my kid um, a lot of, a few things. Um, he's now 14. He's not no longer with me, but it's the love of my life. I love him so much. He was such a light. Um, but I had to teach him a few things about, okay, so I am black. When people see you with me or they might say things. So just, you know, preparing him for actually things that might happen. And also, you know, your, your best friend's Asian. So this is what you might have to do in terms of being an ally and standing up and, and recognizing that people might say stuff. So, Good for yeah, you. It's yes. a lot of education around and that. Education is, it's mm-hmm. so important. It's so important. Yes. And making things explicit, not trying to just sugarcoat everything, having those conversations. Yeah. I believe I had to tell my kid what the N-word was, which is okay because, I mean, he was a white kid, but he didn't understand. He didn't even know it. I was like, do you know what the N-word is? And he's like, this is when he was around 12. I was like, so I had to explain it to him. Um, But it's, you know, especially with BIPOC people, kids, we're um, exposed to a lot of stuff that is not, uh, you know, roses and, and candy. Right. So it's not to say we want to traumatize white people or white kids, but letting them become aware of what's going to happen as well, or you know what they can experience. I had to do that with my kid. I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. This may happen when I come to pick you up. This may happen when you know, and those kind of things. So just preparing him to to experience that. That's what um, every parent needs to um, prepare, especially with transracial um, parents. So the adoptive parents need to go and talk to other people in that society, in that culture, right? Okay, I'm, you know, I'm a, I have a black kid, go talk to a black family. What are the, some of the things I need to tell you, tell them or prepare them for? Adopting, a, you know, a Chinese kid, what do I have to do, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of preparing that I think people don't recognize that they need to do. But if they prepare, if they educate themselves, if they immerse themselves in the culture, if they try to understand, and if they have to, they, um, adopt transracially then that's what they need to do do adoption agencies ever provide i don't know like workshops or let them know the importance of doing these things um i think it's just a little a little part of it i don't think it's over as much as it should be it should like especially if you're yeah i don't know if it's much as it should be to be honest right like even as when i went through my own foster parenting training I don't think there was anything about transracial adoption or transracial fostering, which I just realized right now. Yes. Like yeah. The, the training like that I needed. Yeah. The training that I went to went through was like all the stuff I already know as a counselor, you know, in terms and not even as much as it should be in terms of attachment and trauma and stuff. But I don't know if there was actually anything. I think there might've been a small P I don't even think so. I might be making that up in terms of uh, indigenous, but I don't think it is. So that's what, and you know, that ties into, um, I'm going to plug this training that I'm doing in January, um, with Brooke Randolph, but you know, she does, um, an adoption with brain spotting training. So just helping people kind of, uh, navigate, um, um, brain spotting therapy with adoption. And I'm the training helper. I'm a training helper and I bring in the transracial transracial piece right mm, yes yeah yeah because uh, it's very necessary awesome. and you know in that training i'm i'm not going to be like sugarcoating i'm like nah if you're not you know telling the parents right if you're not comfortable um moving to make sure that your child feels more comfortable 
you shared with us that you do, you're a helper with the brain spot in training mm-hmm. and you bring in the transracial piece. Mm-hmm. And with that, you, there's no sugar coating. You make it very clear and direct that they, if they're not willing to move, then, you know, they need yeah. to really think. Well, about I mean, it. you know, that's, I won't say it's extreme because I think in terms of, if, especially if you're, let's, I'm getting, I'm just going to talk about white adoptive parents. If you're white, and you only go to a white church and you live in a white community and the kids go to a white school and there's no representation and there's no reason why you shouldn't move. Like if you can get a job in a different country where it has more, di- or not different country, different community where it's more diverse and those kind of things, do it. Right. And, but you know, sometimes they'll be like, well, I'm not comfortable. Well, look at your child. Your child is not comfortable and they have less of a capacity to deal with this discomfort than you do just because of age and and uh, maturity and development, right? And so if we can, anything that we could do to make sure our children feel comfortable and safe is what we need to do as adoptive parents. Yeah, yeah, you know, the support piece is so big and um, the representation piece, because as, as you had described, Ruthie, I was, uh, I also grew up in a, a black family. Um, I was, um, I was actually in foster care myself mm. when I was little. And um, my great grandmother, uh, my biological great grandmother um, adopted me or um, she didn't adopt me, she fostered me for mm-hmm. 15 years until I was old enough to, to, you know, be on my own. Um, but even still, even though I was around my own family, uh, I, I still struggled with being in a space where there was mm-hmm. no one around me um, who looked like me besides my mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And so growing up like that, I mean, um, as I look back, the biggest thing I see is the, the resource piece, the support piece and how essential it is. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about some resources, maybe things that you've referred to, to families, um, anyone who can work with these adopted families and they can that that spoke that focused specifically on working with adopted families? Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to again, I'm just cheating, I guess, because uh, within this within this train, uh, the training that I'm doing with Brooke, she has a website that she has um, that connects to her favorite resources um, on, on Amazon. And, but basically, you know, looking at different memoirs, looking at different, um, books and videos, there's one called, uh, closure and it's by, uh, this, it's a short film by a transracial adoptee. She's black. Her name is Angela Burt Tucker. It's a documentary. That's a really good, um, resource for just to for people to, to recognize. Um, any books that deal with um, attachment are very important um, and deal with trauma. So like anything by Bruce Perry, Daniel Siegel is important. Uh, what else is there? Um, again, when it comes to anything, the most important thing is to actually talk to adoptees, those who have been adopted to hear their stories. We could read whatever we want, but um, there are a lot of um, you know Facebook groups um, and different groups that you can connect with adoptees to hear their stories, to hear what they needed, to hear what they what was missing, how they felt. Um, another book, just in general, in terms of attachment and connection, is one called uh, What to Say to Kids When Nothing Seems to Work. I'm so bad with like just <laughs> what to say to kids when nothing seems to work, right? Yeah. Um, and that's by Adele LaFrance and Ashley Miller, Dr. Adele LaFrance and Ashley Miller. Um, and it's not specific to adoption, but it's specific to how do we 
connect with our children um, and help to be emotion coaching, emotion coaches and behavioral coaches, practical support. Um, and so it's a book um, out of emotion focused family therapy, uh, which is one of the therapies I'm hoping to get certified in. Well, I'm working towards getting certified in because I work with parents and caregivers, but it also helps with adoption as well because it's really talking, it's a trauma, you know, folk, uh, informed kind of way of, of dealing with our children um, and being connected to them, validating them. So I'll, you know, even outside of my work with, tra um, with adoption, I, I plug that book as well because it's very important. Such good resources that we, and for our listeners, we are going to include this in the show notes. I will give you the link to Brooke's um, adopt because it's just a lot of stuff. I'm not going to re reinvent the wheel. She's so cool uh, in, in how, what she created. And so it's just like a link to all these resources that would be very important. But, you know, everything, you know, attachment is a very, very, very big thing. If we can read about attachment, can, you know, watch videos about that. How do we connect really? well to our children and kind of heal any of these attachment wounds that they have. That's like, that's number one. It's a really good step in terms of parenting in general. I think there's a book called Primal Wound. Mm -hmm. And it's for adults who have been, um, who have been adopted. Yeah, really mm. good book. Yeah. So as we're winding down, Ruthie, uh, what projects are you currently working on? Well, glad that you brought that up because um, <laughs> I'm running a group with Brooke uh, Randolph January, or not a group, a training, uh, brain spotting with adoption training, yeah. uh, January 14th to 16th. So uh, of next year, obviously. So, uh, mm -hmm. and it's online. Okay, uh, and great. so I'll send that information um, to you as well. I am currently getting certified in the EFFT caregiver workshop. Okay. Um, and so once I get that all sorted, then I'm going to be running, um, workshops online, um, okay. for caregivers to mm -hmm. help them with, it's a two day workshop. Um, and it just kind of covers our own triggers, our own responses and how then we can look at that, um, to, to, um, yeah, how we can understand our own responses and our triggers to regulate ourselves so that we could be receptive to our children in terms of um, validation, becoming their emotional coach and becoming their behavioral coach. Um, so those are the, what else do I have? I think those are it. Yeah, Is that based out of EFT, emotionally focused therapy? Emotion focused family therapy. So there's so many EFFTs, so many EFTs, so many ones, but this one is specific to um, Adela Franz and Joanne Dohanty. I think that's how you spell her name. They are the ones that were the founders of this of this um, um, modality. Um, I mean, I could do a whole um, podcast about that, um, but yeah, I even you know, in terms of adoptive parents, if they're even looking for really good. Um, therapists, those who specialize in adoption, brain spawning adoption, again, I'm, I'm partial to that because I'm getting certified in that as well. But um, it, even if find, finding an EFFT therapist, emotion-focused family therapy is a really good resource for adoptive parents um, to, to look into. Um, and I'll send the link to that as well in terms of um, learning more about that. So Ruthie, I know you've given us so much good information about this topic that we didn't have very much information on. So thank you mm -hmm. so much. Thank you. Um, can you share with us one takeaway that you want our listeners to take with them? One takeaway is honor adoptees 
and get their stories, right? If you're going to be an adoptive parent, if you're going to be in a foster, if you're going to be a foster parent, let's connect with other adoptees and other foster children just to see, right? Because again, often people will go to, oh, tell me what it is to be an adoptive parent. Tell me what it is to be a foster parent. But we forget that we are uh, influencing the lives of children here. And they're the ones that are, that we, the, whose voices need to be heard, right? And so go and talk to these children, go talk to these you know, former foster children and, and adopted kids and tell them, okay, what, do, what, what did you need that you didn't get? Or what was the best, right? It's so clear how passionate you are about this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can our listeners go to learn more about you or any of the workshops that you have coming up? My website, I think, is the best way to find out about me. So that's ruthunebu.com. So R-U-T-H-U-N-A-E-G-B-U.com. Mm-hmm. And then I have Instagram, but I haven't even updated since like last year. So <laughs> so uh, my, my website is probably the best bet. The best place. Um, okay. Yeah, to look mm-hmm. up um, my work. Um, and then, yeah, I'll be adding to it in terms of trainings and workshops and those kind of things. But, yeah. Good, good, good. All and right. I guess email. Email is connect at ruthunebu.com. That's probably the best place as well. So okay. connect at my at ruthunebu.com. Mm-hmm. Great. And yes, listeners, we will make sure that we put this information in the show notes so that you can connect with Ruthie. And of course, we thank you for listening, guys. You can connect with us at soultalkforblackfolks.com or come and join us. Please come and join us in our Facebook community. We would love yes. to have you. It is Soul Talk for Black Folks on Facebook. And if you feel like your soul got fed in today's episode, we would love for you to like, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It is very much appreciated. And until next time, this has been your soul sisters, Latoya and Sarah. Bye. Bye. Bye.